So we all love good discipleship material, don't we? When we find a good book, we're like, did you see this book? It's so amazing. Well, I love good books. You can ask my husband. I am still trying to convince him to get a chaise lounge in his library so I can just hide out and read all of his wonderful books, but we haven't done that yet. But when it comes to discipleship, we know from the get-go, Matthew 28 tells us, right, that we are to go and make disciples. And that word, go and make disciples, is just as you are going. And so as you are going can be to the grocery store, it can be to Burundi, it can be to Santa Clarita Valley. As you are going, wherever you are going, you are to be making disciples. Uh, We know we could use Titus 2 because that is a great place to spend time in discipleship. Um, Shelby and I did an eight-part series just on those few little verses, and we had a ball. We thought, oh, we'll do like three sessions, and the more we dug, the more we wanted to do. So you could do that. Uh, We could look at Ephesians 4, and we could see all the put-offs and the put-ons that we could go through with a sister in Christ for discipleship. Uh, Galatians 5, talking about a spirit-filled life. Uh, We could do character studies from Hebrews 11. Uh, We could use a Proverbs. Uh, We could use the Psalms to study the character of God together. There's so much. God's Word cannot be exhausted. For one reason, it's sufficient, right? God's Word is sufficient. The other reason is because we never fully learn it. Like you said, we're still learning. We will be disciples until we go to glory. We will learn truths. We will fall into sin and unlearn those truths and have to learn them again. So God's word will never be exhausted. So, however, as a new pastor's wife, what does that look like? You're saying, I'm younger than the church I'm going to. They're older. I was the youngest wife and I was old. (laughs) My kids were in elementary school, but I was the youngest wife in our church when we got to our rural ministry in Kansas. Um, I was just a young whippersnapper with lots of energy to meet all of my new family, and it was a wonderful time, but I didn't know what in the world I could bring to the table to all of these seasoned women women who had been on the mission field longer than I had been alive. What can I share with them, right? So um, I I was trying to figure out where do I go because I want to really use God's word to be an encouragement to you and for you to be able to take something specific to you. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about a verse that I am using almost all of the time on the podcast It is the mandate of my women's ministry at the church that I serve at, and it comes from 2 Peter. And I love 2 Peter, and I'm just going to be doing a flyby, okay, and sharing some things from 2 Peter. But I love it because it shows God's lavish provision and that we are no longer aliens, but we are citizens. And then... We have this fruit that comes from this great salvation, and we have grace, and we have peace. And we see in Second Peter that it is Christ's divine power that is the springhead 
of sufficiency. It's not us, right? I can be a young whippersnapper because Christ is the one at work in me. And so it's okay to be young and to be a pastor's wife. Plus, you have energy. I don't have that same level of energy that I had when I was here 25 years ago. Um, We can know him more intimately with each passing day um, if we obey the command to grow in his grace and his knowledge. Our calling and our union with Christ is going to be evident in this new body of believers that you are with. And also, it will be evident to the world because we are going to display his glory and his excellence. We are partakers of his divine nature. Uh, To be a partaker of Christ's divine nature means that we are in fellowship with Christ. We abide in this beautiful union with the one who has redeemed us, who gave his life for us. And because of that abundant grace... There is a call for an abundant dedication and devotion to follow and obey him. Ladies, being dedicated to the ministry that God has placed you in to serve and to disciple is just fruit that stems from Christ's work in you. When you think about what Christ has done for you, don't you want to do that for others and share that with others? I do. And we should all desire to do that. But my verse that I want to just mention tonight, and I'm going to be mentioning several verses, but it's in the context of the conclusion of Second Peter chapter 3. And this is where we see the recipients of Peter's letter are being reminded of the day of the Lord and everything that is not done for eternity is going to burn. And so this is why he commands us what he does. Peter goes on to remind us in this passage that I'm about to read that because of this, we know that we are to be a certain people. We are to be who we already are. And we are to be holy and godly people anticipating the Lord's provision of new heaven and new heavens and new earth where perfect righteousness will dwell, but we're not there yet. So turn to 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, again, this is speaking about uh, the day, the, the day when uh, we will have a new heavens and a new earth. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So I love this passage, and I, like I said, I fall upon it often. Uh, when ministering to women and when discipling to women, when counseling women, um, because this this passage commands us that we are to be on guard. And when you go into your ministry, you are going to be leaving something that is what I call, and you've probably heard, the beautiful bubble of masters. 
How many of you heard about the master's bubble? It is wonderful. And I love that we minister here now because we're still kind of, we're in it again. And I'm really enjoying it. But when I was soaking in everything from the bubble and I left to go to rural Kansas where there wasn't an expository preacher for two and a half hours from where we were going, I just thought everybody was going to think like me. All those things that I had taken in that they had been taking in somehow. And I was wrong. I was wrong. But I'll share about that later. So we need to make sure that we are not carried away um, by unprincipled people. We are to be on guard. And I remember sitting where you're sitting, and a dear godly older woman shared one Wednesday night, she shared, You will not be able to share with others what you yourselves do not possess. Wow. That was a wake-up call for my heart. And that really spurred me to take in even more and more and just soak in all these wonderful truths so that I would be able to share them with the the people that God was going to send us to when my husband graduated. So... Can I encourage you to do the same? Soak in every bit of wisdom, encouragement that you can get from these older godly women that are in this church, the elders' wives, the pastors' wives, you name it. You see an older godly woman, ask them questions. Ask them to pray for you. Um, Get into their pockets. So seek them out. It's really important. And so as we think of some practical discipleship opportunities, let's think about areas first that we need to grow in so that we can help others grow in those same areas, right? Because if we don't own it, we can't share it. So who, I don't even remember which woman shared that. I think it might have been Elizabeth. I'm not sure. But the first thing that we want to grow in is our devotion and demeanor. And I think you have note sheets there. These are the inward and outward graces that are evidence of Christ in our lives. Turn to chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I'll start start with verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, speaking of Christ's divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, because of what we have escaped, applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So these are a list of things that we should be growing in, and they reveal uh, inner growth. But as we grow, we also see that we are showing that growth in how we love others, right? Brotherly kindness, love, perseverance, all of those things. And it says, 
that we are to pursue that with diligence. And I love the fact that you have this verse that just talked about rebuking those who are idle. Because this is the very opposite of being idle, right? And you are going to run into a lot of idle these days. Because we have these little devices that we walk across the street in L.A. I don't get this (laughs) at a crosswalk. And we're looking at our phones instead of waiting for a car to hit us. Okay. So you're going to be in your ministry. You're going to be helping women addicted to social media. That's idle. That's idle. But we'll talk more about that kind of stuff later. So turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 1. This is Peter talking. He says he's a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he says, To those who have received a faith the same kind of ours as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So we see there where that comes from. This comes straight from Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ shares his divine nature with us. We are partakers. We are in fellowship. And then we are going to grow. We are going to supply all of these things that are said. And I have them all written out and defined, but we're going to move on. (laughs) So um, the second thing that we are going to want to grow in um, not just that list that you see there, but you also see at second, in Second Peter 3.14, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. There's that diligent word again. To be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. So there is a holiness about us, right? We will have a holy behavior. We are found holy. We are justified. We are holy. And because we are holy, we act holy. And I wish I could spend more time on that. But the next thing that we're going to want to grow in is our doctrine. Um, As I read to you in chapter 3, verse 18, that is our knowledge of God. We're to grow in our knowledge of God. When we're growing in our knowledge of God, we are growing in our doctrine. Doctrine simply is the teaching of God. I am a huge proponent of that. I teach my women that. I have taught on becoming women of sound doctrine because I believe that that is important because what I believe about God will affect my day-to-day. How I respond when the hard times come, how I respond When someone is at my door with a broken marriage, what I believe about God will affect how I counsel them. So we want to grow in our doctrine. Uh, One author says this. He said, doctrine is the fuel that God has given us that when lit by the fires of grace, burns in a white hot devotion of Christian worship and discipleship. 
Peter, just in this little book, mentions the word knowledge seven times. It's just a three-chapter book. So he found that it was important to mention and to remind us that we needed to grow in our doctrine. Uh, The knowledge of God will multiply our peace and our grace. Knowledge of the Lord bears fruit, according to chapter 1, verse 8. This knowledge accompanies grace in our growth. And we see when mentioning the false converts and teachers that is all throughout chapter 2. I love it. You have this kind of grace sandwich about we're encouraged on how we're to grow. And then it ends with how we're to grow. But in the middle, it's just this dark (laughs) picture of those who don't love God and who revile God and reject the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that. And so um, we need to make sure that we are not like those who have a knowledge of Christ, but they are entangled instead in corruption. And we see it all the time, don't we? That's one of the things, sadly, that we see with social media is just how many pastors fall all the time. Um, But because we are surrounded by this corruption, we have to grow in our discernment. That's the third thing I have there. Peter warns the reader in chapter 317 to be on guard from falling from your own steadfastness. So we're not just watching out for all these other horrible, bad, (laughs) theological, erroneous uh, shysters, we have to guard our own hearts. And so I like what John MacArthur says. Um, He says, discernment is the understanding and appreciation of the real knowledge of God's revelation that produces holy living. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It is not your calling to become a discernment diva. You know what I'm talking about. You see them online all the time. Who spends more time sniffing out the sins of others than maybe their own personal growth. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the more you grow in God's word and to love him, that error will become very evident very quickly. Um, I am saying that we are to be so saturated with what is true that we will be discerners of what is false and what is true. We will be quick to discern error when being discipled and when we are discipling others. We will need to be discerning. We will need to help others be discerning when we get to our new ministries, when we leave this bubble of all the wonderful tools that we have. Those rural ministries, they're shopping at music stores to get their theology. And so they don't understand, don't have realized the resources that we are blessed with. And so you're going to need to be patient with that. Um, I wouldn't have believed it had I not seen it myself. And so um, that was something that I needed to to learn. Um, How do we combat? The danger of getting off course, pursue maturity. Um, That provides the stability necessary to keep on the path of righteousness. What we see in our world 
those who profess Christ, but parade the darkness and the corruption that we've been rescued from, those will be things that you will combat in your ministry. Uh, One of the first things that my husband had to come up against was the man who gave his uh, welcoming speech to come into the church was an anti-lordship guy. And he kind of weaved that in his uh, welcoming of my lordship husband (laughs) to the church. And so that was our first battleground right when we got there. So you never know what it'll be. You may be at a church that is more like-minded than we were, and praise the Lord for that. But if not, um, the Lord has prepared you. I like what Tim Challies says about discernment. He says, God's holiness and glory lies at the very heart of the need for discernment. Our passion for God's holiness, our desire to keep ourselves pure from sin, will motivate our practice of discernment. The greater our understanding of God's holiness, the greater will be our understanding of the importance of discerning truth from error. We will desire to cast off all that is wrong so that we will not be sullied or unspoiled by sin. Discernment is a part of having a heart of wisdom, and we all want to be wise in his eyes, don't we? And then you are going to want to grow in your discipleship of others. We should be practicing as well as helping our sister to press on towards the goal of Christ-likeness towards God. And as they persevere in their faith, we just keep cheering them on. There's over 51 another passages in Scripture that we can be practicing with our sisters in Christ for biblical fellowship and discipleship. Um, Also, look at Peter's example to us in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He says there, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present within you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. So Peter's near the end of his life and he says until my dying day. I am going to remind you of the truths that you need to hear. And so there's this little glimpse here that he gives us of discipleship. We see his diligence in readiness. We see three things that he says just in those two verses about discipleship. He says that he is always ready. So we should always be ready. He says it's the right thing to do. So we should believe that it's the right thing to do. And if we believe it's the right thing to do, then we will do it. And it should be like it was Peter's lifelong ambition. It should be our lifelong ambition. We never retire from speaking, training, reminding others of Christ and how to live in faithfulness to him. Also, For a well-rounded discipleship lifestyle, I have always been told, and I cannot track down exactly what author used this. Um, I think it's Howard Hendrickson, but don't quote me on that. 
Um, he says that you need to have three types of people in your life. You need to have a Paul, you need to have a Timothy, and you need to have a Barnabas. And I have always looked for that in my life, wherever I have lived, to have someone that is investing in me like Paul invested in Timothy, and for me to be like Paul and invest in a Timothy. And then you just have that person like Barnabas that you are so encouraged and ready to go and minister and disciple again because you've been with that Barnabas, right? But we can't have all Barnabases, right? We need to have a good mixture of Paul, Timothy, and Barnabases. So we want to be ready to remind our sisters of these precious and magnificent promises to those that God has placed in our spheres of influence as long as we live. Um, and in Second Peter, we see examples of why. Um, in that first chapter, in verse 9, it says that there are some that are short-sighted. And that these qualities that I mentioned in chapter 1, they're lacking in them. And so you can disciple them and help them increase in their understanding of these qualities and practicing them. And so, and we also see that there were lots, lot in chapter 2, 7. It says he was righteous, but what was going on (laughs) was not righteous. And it says that his soul was tormented. By what was going on. And so you're going to have people in your sphere of ministry who may be struggling with some sort of immorality that you're going to need to encourage them in and to repent of immoral behavior or associations of some sort and help them find the way of escape from the temptation that they may be in. So they need a Peter in their lives that is ready to stir up a way of reminder. And I love that picture that Peter's using there because it came straight from his experience in John 16. It's when the the waters swelled up and the winds were blowing on the Sea of Galilee and things got a little shaky on the boat, didn't they? And he got scared and Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. Have you no faith? He's saying, I am going to stir things up a little bit, and I am going to remind you of what you need to be reminded. So when you see that word in 2 Peter of stirring up, he's arousing their thinking that they need to be thinking more biblically. So everything that I was learning from the pulpit, from Philip DeCourcy at our little church when we were here, everything I learned from seminary wives, Karen Busance, I still have the little sheet. She taught on hospitality and so many things at these tables that you're sitting at. My own personal Bible study, all of this was stored up and ready to share. And we graduated. I got my, was it PhD? I think is what it was called. I got my PhD and we were ready. We were ready to go. We were so excited. We were leaving Los Angeles for a community of 1,400 people in rural Kansas and we couldn't wait. I didn't know if I was working cattle or leading a Bible study, but I knew it was going to be wonderful and I was so excited. And it was so precious because a family came to drive our possessions from Kansas to, I mean, sorry, from LA to Kansas. They had never been to LA. They had never seen the ocean and they had never seen skyscrapers. 
And so they asked us if we would take them to see those things. I know, right? (laughs) And so we took them to see those things. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We're driving along on the PCH, and I'm getting that one last glimpse of the water before we moved to Kansas. It was so sad. And we're talking in the back seat, and I'm getting to know this girl, and I'm so excited because I'm going to be spending the rest of my life maybe with her. And we're going to grow together. And she starts sharing about her life, and she's telling me how she had a family member, a grandmother who was a pastor. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And then she starts telling me about some relational issues that she had, and she got some really great help after four or five tries of some some anti-depression meds. I'm like, okay, I think the bubble's disappearing. And then she goes on to tell me that she was really kind of sensitive to the tongues issue that their church had just gone through. And I'm like, can we unpack the moving van? (laughs) And that wasn't all. (laughs) There was more. She was leading a Bible study of men and women, not church endorsed, thank the Lord, called the Way Down Workshop. And when we got there, We learned this, and if you haven't seen it, there's a documentary about Gwen Chamberlain on the Way Down Workshop, and I think her theology was the higher the hair, the closer to God, because her hair is like literally to here, (laughs) and it was so frightening because I'm studying who this lady is, and she denies the Trinity, and this lady at our church is teaching material by someone who has false thinking. And she could line up with chapter two by the end of her so-called ministry. She's dead now. The the Gwen Chamblin, not the lady at the church. So (laughs) clarify that. (laughs) Anyway, so the Lord gave us the grace to come to her and share about Gwen Shamblin and that she didn't believe in the Trinity. And this dear sister said, is that a problem? Well, yes, it is. Ladies, I was nowhere near the master's bubble anymore. (laughs) I was finding out books that women were reading and I was mortified. It was just, I became, all of a sudden I was like, okay, All those things that I just learned, I am going to be practicing and helping these women. And we're going to grow together. We're going to lock arms. And we are going to see God work. We are going to see God work. And it took a long, long time. And that was just in that one little aspect of ministry. I could go on for hours of all the things that my husband encountered to, uh, by God's grace, uh, take a very weak church to what is one of the most beautiful, solid churches in rural Kansas. That is a gift of God. And his word, he did it. My husband was very patient, and I heard him say many, many times when I would say, what are you going to do about that? (laughs) And he would say, preach the word, in of season, out of season. And he would say, We can't forget. 
with great patience. Because we always talk about preaching the word in of season and out of season, right? And we know that it's either in season or out of season. But in that season or out of that season, my husband is going to do that with great patience. And so I learned a lot in that season of ministry about patience. Our Lord is so patient with us, is he not? He is so patient with us. And so I knew I could be patient with those dear, precious people who had just never been taught. And it, I had to be diligent about it. Now, when we talk about being diligent, and I have quite a bit here about diligence, but I'm just going to read this quote. Um, Martha Peace says in her book, Becoming a Titus II Woman, Lazy people are often busy, but they are not busy doing the work that God has given them to do because they are self-indulgent. So ladies, are you busy or are you diligent? We want to grow in diligence. Diligent faith is not the same as busyness. Diligence is to lavishly pursue the qualities that are mentioned in 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7 and 1 Peter 3, 14. So, let me get back to the young woman I was mentioning. We're driving down the PCH and she's shared all of this stuff with me. And I'm not sure if I should roll down the window to get air before I lose it. (laughs) Or should I share scripture? And I just looked at her and I said, I am so glad I'm getting to know you. I said, isn't it great that God's word says that he has granted us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness? And she looked at me like I was from Saturn. And she said, really? Everything? I said, that's what God's word says. And so as we proceeded in our ministry, and as I began to challenge women to grow in the word of God and just get to know them sort of just on a surface level at first, right? You're just kind of figuring out who everybody is and how do they do that? Oh, what are your interests? What do you like to do? And I'd say, you know what? I love to do inductive Bible study. And I would just throw that out there left and right. I love to do inductive Bible study. My house is open every Wednesday if you want to come over. And you can look and see what I do. Well, guess who the first person was who came over? The Gwen Shamblin fan. She came over and I showed her through studying God's word all of these precious and magnificent truths that she could apply to her life. And it was so precious. It was so beautiful to watch her grow and to hunger and thirst after righteousness through the word of God. And it was so sweet to see how God changed her through his word. And I'll tell you more about her story later, but I want to finish with one more thing. Um. There are several things that I think are important that we should remember just on a practical aspect of discipleship. And I didn't put that on the note page, but if you just want to write down some things, feel free. 
um, I just like to use birthdays to get to know the women of our church. And if they could come over to my house, I would have a coffee cake ready. And I would have some questions ready to ask them that would stimulate godly conversation. So what did you see the Lord doing in your life this week? Or tell me, how did you see this struggle? Or what do you hope to see the Lord grow you in this new year that he's giving you? Just little questions like that to spur on our conversation. Because I think that those coffee cakes and things like that can be great opportunities for fellowship and heart intentional conversations that turn into discipleship. Um, And then for a while, when I was the youngest wife in the church, I would purposefully go see older women. Like I said, there were women that had been on the mission field longer than I had been alive. So I would go and I would ask if I could pray with them. And then I would just ask them questions about ministry, about how they uh, were purposeful to grow when they were on the field, or maybe it was a a wife uh, that was a widow, and I would ask questions just to get to know her better and for her to share her heart about how the Lord has grown her in her life. And then what the older women saw in the church is that I was a learner that I didn't just come and show up to tell them how to grow, but that I wanted to grow. And so they saw that I wanted to grow. And we also see this example in Christ's ministry where he would teach to the masses and he would offer things to the, to the big groups, but then he narrowed things down with smaller groups, right, and was more intentional and in developing those people. And so I kind of tried to do that, like we would be studying a book of the Bible, and it would be for all the women in my Bible study. And then I would say, and if any of you want to memorize this book that we're working on, we can do that. And each time we do a chapter, I'll have a luncheon and we'll get together and talk about it. And so they would come to me, they'd say their verses, we'd talk about those verses. And so then that narrowed that group down because in your Bible study of say 20 or 30 women, not all 20 or 30 women will have that desire to memorize. But then you see those who are eager to be a part of that and you can work with them and come alongside them and encourage them, ask them good questions and deepen their understanding of the book that they're uh, ministering. Also, topical lists in scripture, like I mentioned at the very beginning, are really good because it gives you a set a number of weeks that you can, can meet, right? So if you're working through Titus 2, those seven or eight qualities, I think it's seven right there, right? If you, if you divide it between a mature and immature older woman, that makes it eight. So if you, then that's a great way. You have eight times that you can meet and you have something specifically to talk about each time. On the fruit of the spirit, right? You can talk about each one of those each time. So those are good ways to have shorter times uh, to meet with women. As we got older and our children were grown um, and my children didn't need me as much, uh, we would do uh, discipleship with couples. And so what we would do is we would uh, have them over for dinner. I would provide dinner, so that was one less thing for them to do. And when we were around the table, we would say our verse together because we were all memorizing scripture together. So we would say our verse or our passage while we were fellowshipping over food. And then we would uh, get together and we were reading, we were doing the um, 
I think it's MacArthur's uh, boot camp where you do chunks of new, yeah, of scripture. And so we were doing 10 pages of scripture every month. So this was a three-year process with four couples. And so we did that. We would go over those 10 pages of scripture that we were working on for a month. And then we would also uh, have a book that we were reading, like the old dead guys. So we did, we did Thomas Watson's Body of Divinity. We did Holiness uh, by J.C. Ryle, which is excellent. When you read it, you think it was written today. And I think we did uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones's book, uh, Sermon on the Mount. So we would do that. So we would introduce them to good books because why? They were reading bad books, right? <laughs> and so we were showing them there's good material out there. And uh, it, was a, it was a great time. And then the men and the women would separate. And we'd have this sweet time of prayer. And so we did that for several years um, with multiple couples. And we really uh, saw some sweet fruit from that. And as a matter of fact, uh, some of the men that my husband discipled are now uh, pastors. And so it was worth the time. It was worth all those meals that were made. It was worth every bit of it. Um, I do believe that good discipleship will fall, uh, flow out of good fellowship. So when I have a group of women over, I ask them those questions. Where do you feel like you're stuck in your faith right now? And they're like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> and maybe a week later, they'll come back to me or they might just share them right then. And it starts to develop this culture of conversing about things that matter. And so we're not just talking about the football game or the track meet, but we're able to talk about the, the things that are changing our lives spiritually Um, Ladies, opening your home is a huge avenue as a new pastor's wife. It really helps break down the barriers that people place on our ministry to them. They see how we live. They see how we live and that we want to be with them in our own homes. It's an encouragement to them. You do not have to have all the things. You don't have to have a Pinterest home. You need to have a heart for ministry. And they will, that will go way further. Um, when a woman would share a need or a trial, I would stop with them right then. And I learned this from seminary wives. Um, I would stop with them right there, here and there, and just say, can I pray right now with you about that? And then I would make a note to either write them a card or to call them within a week and ask them specifically about that thing that they had shared with me. That went really far too. The first time that I offered to pray with a woman when she shared with me, she said that had never happened in her life. Because we're guilty of what? Oh, I'll pray about that. And then what happens? We forget about that, right? (laughs) I do. Maybe you don't. Um, And then you'll have a list of these, I think, on the table. But here are some things that I think are really important. And if you're a biblical counselor or studying to be a biblical counselor, this is just that first part of biblical counseling. It's um, what we call show involvement. It's one of the eight eyes. But it's just made specifically for ministry wives. And um, I just made it for pastor's wives Uh, ministry wives. But the first thing um, is to show compassion. When When you are ministering to these women, you want to have a heart of compassion 
when they see that you have a heart of compassion, they will desire to come to you. Um, if Remember also to show respect to them. They were at the church before you were, <laughs> right? You just got there. They were there first. And so you want to respect them. Uh, God in his providence has placed you with them. You are not God's gift to them. You are God's gift to one another. So you need to show respect. Also be genuine and honest. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Pastor's wives are not perfect. I know you're shocked. Pastor's wives are not perfect. But if we pretend that we are, we are not going to have a, a sweet relationship with the people God has put us with. Um, we, we are not being genuine or honest if we are pretending that we are perfect or that we have arrived somehow. How can they expect to be honest or us to be honest with them if we're not honest about ourselves? It's okay to mention a struggle that you have, but be wise about it. Um, also, the, the fruit of the Spirit should be on display in your life. Also, be a good listener. Communicate at their level of understanding. When we got to rural Kansas, women at my church thought that Martin Luther was MLK. They just didn't know. So they got to learn who Martin Luther was. Uh, they had never heard a psalm referred to as an imprecatory psalm. So I learned that I needed to change how I spoke about things. And if I used a $10 word, I explained my $10 word because they might not understand it. It was a rural farming community. They just didn't know. Um, and this will require much humility and grace as the new kid in the pew. We're not coming to tell them how the cow ate the cabbage. We're there to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior with them. Also, let your yes be yes and your no, no. That is a big factor in being someone that they can count on, right? If they know that you are a woman of, the, of your word, they will know that you're reliable. Uh, be careful not to talk about how busy you are. We need to guard our hearts from that. Because, yes, we will have full plates with ministry, and some weeks are more full than others. We always used to joke when there was a really quiet week, we're like, what's about to happen? <laughs> and sure enough, something big would happen, but God had just given us that rest that we needed and that, that refreshment that we needed and that even that preparation of me maybe getting my home cleaner or whatever and before something bigger maybe came about. In his kindness, he would allow that for us. So, but we need to be careful not to talk about how busy we are because this sends a message that you don't have time for them, okay? It's not that we drop every single thing the minute somebody needs something, but we can show them that we care for them by scheduling something when they have a question. Say, yeah, you know what? This, this week would be really good on Friday, they may be feeling like they need to meet with you before your hair dries. When you get out of the shower that morning, it doesn't have to be that way. 
But if you schedule something, you show that you care, that you want to meet with them, and that you are not too busy for them. Um, And if it is uh, urgent, your husband will help you discern whether or not that's something that you need to do right at that moment. So um, we need to, I think, the biggest thing is pursuing spiritual growth ourselves will be the greatest tool for discipleship because it will just ooze out of us as we share with others. When we are learning something, we can't help but want to share it with others, right? And so as we are growing, these are the things that will naturally come out of us. And those women who are drawn to that, they will be right by your side wanting to grow that way. And you will have those opportunities to disciple. Because when you're growing and when you're sharing your faith, you will either, uh, it, you will either have women who are excited or they will run from you. And so then you know who God wants you to spend time with. Now, back to the young lady I mentioned. And then I'll close. I just wanted to share with you about this lady. After years of encouraging her in discernment by giving her good material to read, helping her develop her spiritual giftedness, and even mentioning, you know, that women really aren't pastors, um, and also helping her to uh, memorize scripture, um, and her challenging me to memorize scripture, Um, We even went on a mission trip together. Uh, We went to solid biblical counseling conferences together, and she saw that verse that I shared with her from 2 Peter 1, 3. I watched that come to life in her own, just her eyes. Wow, it really is right here. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. So we went to those conferences together. We helped one another earn our biblical counseling certification. We wrote our papers together. And now this woman is a beautiful, mature believer who is discipling, who is counseling and teaching women faithfully at that same little church in Kansas. I'm not in Kansas anymore. But all those things that she learned, she doesn't need me. Just like I had the Lord to go with me to Kansas to to do what God had for us to do, the Lord is with her and is using her to disciple and to mentor women and to come alongside women. And she can now say to women that same verse that I shared with her on the PCH, you know, God really does give us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And it's so amazing because that's all the Lord. He did it. He's the one who did it. His grace was sufficient, and it made all the difference in this dear lady's life, and she is now glorifying God in so so many beautiful ways. No doubt, ladies, when we disciple, we are blessed when we grow in all the areas that I mentioned. Proverbs eleven twenty five tells us that when we refresh others, we find ourselves refreshed. So it is a beautiful thing. But the most important reason that we do these things is because, and this is my last point, for the glory of God, so that God is glorified 
That's why I've used this for my women's ministry mandate for all these years. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It's the chief end of man, right? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we are to do. We grow in his grace and his knowledge for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity just to have a glimpse of what it means to be, uh, to be a disciple, to be a discipler. Father, we are disciples of your son, Jesus Christ. You have called us. You have pulled us from the miry pit. You have saved us. And now we get to share these precious and magnificent truths with other people. Father, I pray that we will make ourselves available to be discipled and to be disciplers, to obey that command of Scripture. And, Father, that we won't uh, see it as some foreign thing, but that life on life will be just that with our God-given family. And, Father, I pray that we won't be intimidated because maybe we're, we're new in the ministry or we're younger than everybody else. But we have the same spirit. We have the same spirit. And, Father, you have given us, through your Son, Jesus Christ, the ability to have a heart of humility. And we realize we have not arrived. We're just broken vessels that are being used by you to proclaim your precious truths and to love your sheep. And so, Father, I pray for these precious women that are going off to other countries. We saw them raise their hands, Lord. I pray that they will uh, find that Paul and that Timothy and that Barnabas in their ministry. And, Father, I pray for the women who are uh, going to be pastor's wives. I pray that uh, they will see what an honor and a joy it can be. And, yes, there are hard times, but, Father, you are with us always. Your son says, lo, I am with you always. So I pray, I pray that we will remember in those hard times of ministry, in those great time of min- times of ministry, that your son who died for us is with us still. Father, thank you for that beautiful gift. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.